So Murph, it's it's been a long time, but you finally played Resident Evil Three Remake. That I that I have broken of the Daydream cast. There you go. Uh, just just opening with that. Yeah, yeah. Resident Evil Three Remake. Uh, the Jill Valentine game. Uh, this uh. This one's kind of hampered by the fact I took, like, three weeks off to play Elden Ring right in the middle of it. So so this Resident Evil 3 review is secretly an Elden Ring review. I got it. A, a little, you know, a skosh, a skosh bit. Uh, I like 3 Remake, but I'm disappointed by it. I think that's fair. I think it's an inverse of 2 Remake, where I prefer the gameplay and some of the design of 3 Remake, but... When it comes to actually remaking the game, uh, 2 was just better about it. 3 is more of an adaptation, where they're kind of like taking the idea of Resident Evil 3, but going off in their own direction with it. You know, this is the first time, like, when, when I played 3 Remake, like, obviously Remake 1 and Remake 2, for me, were like, bangers. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, they yeah. were, like, really good. So, I... I don't usually have expectations for a game, but with those two, I always I, like I started to expect a high quality for uh, Resident Evil remakes for Capcom. Yeah, and that doesn't mean to say that three doesn't hit the mark because you're right. But the thing is, is like number one, you can tell that three is so heavily derivative of the two remake in terms of engine you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it definitely refined some of the rougher edges that you complained about previously. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I, there's definitely like a, for me, it's, there's, it's a little less inspired. Um, I appreciate its forwardness, but you know, I, I like to remake more. Yeah. It, it captures the tone of three and to reiterate for first time listeners, uh, Resident Evil three is my favorite of the original trilogy. Um, what, what could you tell us why? I really like the forward momentum it has. Uh, I really like the feeling of just... Like, I love that it starts in media res. Like, Jill is blasted out of a window. You don't need to know how it got to this point, because you've played Resident Evil 2. You know Raccoon City has fallen. So let's catch up with our character from the first game, Jill, and just go. She needs to get out. Um, and it's not really pu- it's not really dwelling on, like, a mystery like two and one do uh and there's just like zombies everywhere like a door will open and five zombies will spill out and that's just a roadblock you'll have to figure out around it's sort of its own little puzzle it's like um i previously mentioned did you not like the breathing room of the other games because like for me like I still think of two as an action title, but it's only like really an action title in the back half. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Well, two has sort of those moments I was talking about. Like one of the very first choices you have to make in the original two is, do you go down the hallway with like six zombies or do you go down the hallway with a liquor, which is like your first time encountering that kind of enemy in the franchise. Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of its own little little conundrum. Um, I like the downtime. I like the... But I think it really comes down to I don't like the police station as an environment. Why? Uh, I guess it's just not... I guess, to me, uh, you know, a cab aside, police stations <laughs> aren't inherently scary. You know, even with 
the RPD being a very strange police station. It's just, I don't know, it's just a an office building to me. As opposed to, like, the Spencer Mansion, which is, like, weird and has all these trap rooms and things, you know? And 3 is more focused on Raccoon City as an actual environment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what okay. I kind of what I kind of wish with remake three is that they had made it like open world, you know, to a degree. Make it more like Dead Rising. What we get here is very sequential and it's very linear. It's like okay, here's the downtown segment. Here's the sewer segment. You can't backtrack between either of these, you know. And so there's not really a feeling of. I guess in that way it captures the idea of constant forward momentum, but the lack of backtracking is kind of frustrating because it feels like these areas are very small. Yeah, see, I was about to ask, like, I can, I can number one, no matter what, understand the sort of underwhelming feeling you have about how it portrays the environments and areas because they cut out a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and they, it, it, the linearity is probably too much to the point where it's, it's troubling how forgettable the areas are at points but that being said i i wonder if there is because you just said you want like you wanted a little bit more freedom in the world but like you also praised how it goes for that momentum i'm wondering if there's an in-between way to reconcile those two concepts because part of me doesn't think there is i think the issue is is their approach to nemesis in this it's it's weird they got it the other way around in a like in resident evil 2 remake Mr. X is the new nemesis. They do everything with Mr. X that nemesis did in the original RE3. And in remake three, they make nemesis like original Mr. X, where he's only showing up for these very scripted sequences. If you had had that open world environment, but you had this pursuer, this nemesis constantly chasing you down, I think that would have captured the, like the adrenaline I'm looking for. But I think that's also such a radical departure in design. Yeah. From what this is. Yeah, it's like I like a lot of the changes, but I don't love them. A lot of them feel like lateral trades. Like instead of the Raccoon City Parks uh from the original, which is a cool environment with like these these bridges that you walk over and you have to like raise and lower the water levels, instead you have this sewer level, which I'm fairly certain isn't in the original with these uh hunter gammas, which are these big tadpole frogs that you need to chuck grenades in their mouths. And that's like a cool level, but I I don't know, I miss the parks. I miss, I really miss the worm boss. Where is my giant graboid? <laughs> so so I guess if you're saying that this is an adaptation rather than a remake, how are you appreciating it as a game on its own? On its own, I really want to slot it into the A tier of my rankings, but I know in my heart that it's not a better game than two remake just like on paper because even two just offers more content you know is is content the break the deal breaker here maybe not but it feels like i would sooner replay remake two even with my problems with it than i would remake three to me yeah i mean honestly and this I don't know how to say it in a way that doesn't sound dismissive of the work on 3. Because I do really like 3. I'm mean to 3, but I'm not actually like... It's it's almost harmless. To me, 2 just feels more inspired. And you can tell that mm-hmm. they just took a lot of the the backbone structure of 2 and then just applied it to the remake. It, it just feels like they could have done way more effort for yeah. a Resident Evil 3 remake. It feels 
overwhelmingly like a tech demo like the game is real pretty these environments are great um i i always original three has like the best backgrounds of the ps1 games because it really captures this feeling of a city gone to shit and the remake three really captures that where it's like the electricity is still on you've got this big ass toy store with this light up head but there's zombies everywhere everything's gone to shit like there's cars burning there's crashed ambulances with body bags still in the back that are twitching because there's a zombie in them like that's just a great feeling of environment but you're in that area for such a short amount of time you know there needs to be more breathing room yeah yeah it, it, it doesn't it doesn't meet that halfway point that sweet spot um, I think Resident Evil 3 gives up the sweet spot entirely. He doesn't even try for it. Yeah, and, and like I said, Nemesis just feels like a downgrade. I didn't feel like I had that feeling of, like, that I was building that relationship of spite with him. Because partway through the game, he drops his iconic look and turns into a Bloodborne boss. It's like, I, I like that design, but I don't yeah. love it. <laughs> I, I associate Nemesis with my image of these games and i think that is probably my ultimate opinion on three remake as a whole whereas it's like very pretty scripted cutscenes and nice calculated moments but that being said is once you're past the moment uh it, it's very shallow it's a to me it's a shallow experience yeah it feels great when you're in the moment but like once I was done with the game and gave it like a day to think, I was like, ah, I don't really have a lot to say about it. And I wish I yeah. did. I wish I could be like, oh, there's this cool moment where you do, eh? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree. It, I think it's a problem. And I think it's ultimately just sad because I think three deserved more. I think yeah. three deserved a real effort in, articulating and perfecting nemesis i i think i think when we say like mr x is a better nemesis i think that's tragic i think it's like whoa i mean come on like what the fuck are we doing here yeah definitely oh well well one last game in the retrospective uh for resident evil i've got to i've got to get through this village are you excited for Village? I am. I've, I've I've played about two hours of it. I'm in the big vampire castle. Um, I'm I'm loving the B movie tone of it. You know, I it, it's one of those things where maybe this is just how Resident Evil is. But like, I remember in my head, and like, you could go back to previous episodes. I I am so dismissive on the game, mm-hmm. and like, obviously, part of that's probably Pablo's going Resident Evil's shit, but <laughs> like. Part of me was like, oh, man, it's it's just kind of like worse than four, worse than seven for me. I kind of don't love it. B tier. But like just thinking about playing it again and thinking about the moments, it goes back to the moments being good. I'm like, oh, shit, I kind of want to play this game again. What the fuck? Yeah. Devastating. We'll see what happens. Um, I I haven't played any other games other than Elden Ring and World of Goo. Oh, yeah, yeah, nothing. So how's so you've beaten Elden Ring, right? I have now beaten Elden oh. Ring, and I got like when when I started my new game, I got pretty far in terms of just like, you know, the thing I like about Souls is like once you've done it once or twice, and you get it, especially once you've grinded a boss and you figured out what a boss is, it just goes by so much. 
faster. Like the yeah. game is just so much more breathable after. Like for me, there's a new life in these games after I've played them once. Like to mm-hmm. me, when I hear someone go, oh, I played Bloodborne once like five years ago. I really liked it. I'm like, to me, I'm like, oh, you haven't you haven't played the game yet. Like that's not yeah. the experience I have. Yeah, the first playthrough is a tutorial for the second playthrough. The issue with Elden Ring is that first playthrough can take up to 60 hours. Um, probably more than that. Depends. I mean, depends on how comprehensive you are too. Like this, the the game is. I think no matter what, really, really big. I think. I think playing it this time around, I I sort of approached it a little bit more. Um, I approached it differently to where I I think I could probably replay this game and experience this game again in a similar context to something like into my other uh, FromSoft games. But like there is still a part of it that's just so daunting, especially late game. I'm not sure if I will ever get over how difficult the late game bosses are. They get pretty bullshit. Although Malaketh, I annihilated like strangely like i just went up to him and did a bunch of jumping l2s or no l1s and melted his health bar um, these, these these bosses are secretly not uh good for jump attacks jump attacks are like amazing yeah yeah definitely it, and then you get to millennia millennia i should know she says her name at me every time she kills me Whew. It, it, it's brutal i mean okay this is I, I sound so mean when I say this. Melenia feels like a boss to punish people that aren't me. I think everybody deserves this boss in FromSoft except me. So when <laughs> people say they should nerf her or something, I'm like, no, I just will never play this boss ever again. Okay. It does have the vibe of a Kingdom Hearts secret boss. Uh it- it reminds me of Frida and Maria, and I'm like, mm. oh, and, and like, especially in terms of like what people want in a Dark Souls boss or like a FromSoft boss normally, it's mostly this stuff. It's just taken to a, an absurd point where the difficulty is uh, unfair to even most people. I don't know a single person that's like, I love this boss. Yeah. You know what I mean? It does feel like the devs were like, all right, beat this fucker. And that's fine for like most other franchises that have like a super secret hard boss. Like I've never beaten lingering will in kingdom hearts two. I've never beaten Sephiroth in kingdom hearts one. I don't have any regrets about that, but with FromSoft games with the community around them, there is this feeling of FOMO, you know? And it's like, does your feeling of FOMO beat your feeling of exhaustion? I mean, I I think that's what I mean by saying it's a karmic punishment. Like, to me, when I hear people talk about how they appreciate these games and how, like, 90% of the time when I hear people talk about how much they enjoy a FromSoft game, it has to do with the bosses, has to do with how fast they are, you know, how difficult they are or how rewarding they are to fight. And Melania is all of those things, but... Th- Melania represents how I see most FromSoft bosses. Mm. And... I, it's just y'all deserve it. I think I think <laughs> the community deserves this boss. And this sounds so mean to say, but yeah. No, no, I I I get what you're saying. I I pick up what you're putting down. Do you have any like observations on the actual like gameplay itself? Now that we've had two weeks difference from the last recording. Um, I mean, I I think I said it before. Whereas like this game is messier in terms of uh polish and all of that stuff compared to Sekiro and Bloodborne. So I think anyone who is 
uh, slavishly devoted to FromSoft combat should probably look at Sekiro and Bloodborne as their crown jewels. And they probably do. I think we have now hit the point now where not everybody is saying this is the 10 out of 10 best yeah. game ever. I think like, the, we, have, we have now hit that point. Already. I think the honeymoon phase fell off for this game. I, Real I, fast. I fully expect like minimum three years, maximum five. We're going to be seeing like video essays titled Elden Ring isn't that good and here's why. And they'd be wrong, but not for the reasons they're going to say. Or, yeah. or not the reasons why people praise it. I mean, I think I think the thing I like about this game, and it's something like, okay, so it's time to it's time to open the Dark Souls 2 box again. Dark Souls 2 has bad combat. There's no way around it. It's not fun to play. But I, to me, all of the FromSoft games play like shit. Like, all of these games are mm -hmm. not fun in combat. I think all of them are like, eh. Um, whereas I think what's nice about Dark Souls 2 and Elden Ring is the sheer variety, especially with how Elden Ring has it just polished enough to where anybody can approach it. This is the most I've seen people dare to try new builds beyond their comfort zones. I often see so many people play in their comfort zones of how they always play the same game over and over again. And this mm -hmm. is the first time where I think it started to shake people a little bit. And I think that's great. And I think that's how the game should be. Okay, yeah. Uh, I, I'm still dual wielding colossal weapons. And I've really touched. I've I've figured out why I I haven't been having fun, and it's just that there's no there's no poise. It's, Did you uh power stance? Yeah, I'm power. I'm dual wielding rock and roll co colossal swords, and then I switch to colossal axes. Po poise. All right. I, we're there's gonna no talk like about we're gonna talk about stats real quick. Poise isn't dead. You just have to like spec for it just right the the real problem is is it's not like havel stuff in dark souls one like you can't do the havel bullshit anymore you, but like you can there's definitely poise builds still wait wait which character I, when i uh, in dark souls one there's there's something called the havel it's like when you wear the havel set to oh. where you're basically a fucking rock to where you just tank all hits and your poise I, does not break you could just fucking mash r2 and heal when you have to and that is like the build Okay. Right? Yeah. And and that is not the case in this game. Poise doesn't work like that, but it's not like Dark Souls 3 where in Dark Souls 3 poise is pointless. Poise is fucking nothing in Dark Souls 3. So like this is sort of like a sort of rework reapproach to that concept. And for the listeners who don't know, poise is basically a stat that ensures um that your attack animations don't get interrupted it's more complicated than that but that's that's the basic for anybody who doesn't know what's going on okay okay yeah it doesn't feel like there's any hyper armor like i do like dogs just knock me out of my attack animation constantly or a dude with a torch just holding out his torch i can't i'm just hit stunned until I'm, I can finally move out of it. Well, a lot of that is, number one, how aggressive the enemies are. The enemies are just too aggressive now. Um, I, I don't mind it, but I think the secret is, and this is the one thing I learned and I sort of like came to terms with, is, is the game does not want you to do, and what's different about this compared to Bloodborne or Elden Ring, or not Elden Ring, uh, compared to Dark Souls 3, is that it doesn't want you to just dodge and mash R1 or dodge and then do a charge attack. What mm -hmm. it actually wants you to do is um, obviously dodge 
hit hit the fucking dodge button whenever the animation's appropriate. Yeah. But it also wants you to utilize your weapon arts and your weapon skills and specifically the unique things they give you. So like there are so many tools that they have given you at your disposal now. Basically the weapon arts have turned into something that you can customize on most normal weapons or even the unique boss weapons have their own special abilities and those are what really do damage and those are the things that really stagger. Those are the things that really get you results. Yeah, but using weapon arts is cheating. Is it? <laughs> Whatever it takes for the W, Murph. Whatever no, it takes. No, no, I know. I, 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 I use a mimic tier. Uh, I gave up on the mimic. T- like, I'm not using a mimic tier. I will say, like, I, I, I'm not doing any of that this second playthrough, and I don't need it. You, you really don't need it for most of this stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not usually one for summoning. I'm not usually one for a companion. I think it was really helpful for people who are trying to approach it because especially with the heavy amount of aggro but like let's take millennia millennia is actually not that hard especially in first phase in first phase you can you can bully her you can really just be mean to her and she also is very reactive all of her moves are sort of a response to your positioning and your own actions and um with that you can almost kind of control her or at least bully her into doing the animations you want to do not largely speaking but enough to matter Mm -hmm. now um so you now that you've started a new character how does this is what i'm curious about how does limgrave feel does it have that feeling of wonder and discovery that like uh, first playthrough, or are you feeling you just seeing like the numbers in the matrix? Um, two things I'll say. Number one, I think in any of these games or like any exploration game or whatever, the map feels smaller. Like the map now, like I've, once you've properly contextualized it and you're like expectations have now been hit and I understand and I can map out uh-huh. the map in my head. I know where, most things are at or at least everything that i was at that's the nice thing about exploring a world um so like the 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 sense of wonder in terms of scale is gone but that being said i i don't approach exploration in terms of uh new discoveries i'm not based on the singular aspect of like oh i see something new there's a dopamine hit for me um it's much more of a reflective uh experience um like i like games with nothing in them man i like games like huge wastelands of just walking around shadow of the colossus is a game i've wasted hours literally just fucking walking and there's like nothing in the game (laughs) like it's Mm -hmm. just fucking space so like in terms of what's rewarding to me it still feels very rewarding especially since i mean if we're talking in terms of content i don't think any open world rivals elden ring so I, I think people will still be satisfied on second playthroughs for that. Okay. But it's more like you now understand like that little dungeon that you were stuck on early game, like the context of it in the scope of the game. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. maybe second I, I, playthrough, I, it doesn't seem that important to actually do. Oh yes. Oh, for sure. Like I've now hit the point now where I know what bosses to skip. I know what dungeons to not do. I know what places to not go. I am not a person that has to get every single item, fight every single boss. This game yeah. has too much of that. It's it's literally got too much. And it, it goes into the, if I was playing, if I play this game for the rest of my life, which I probably will, <laughs> I'm not going to dedicate all my time to getting everything and doing everything. Yeah. I know, I know what value I get out of 
the certain paths I take. And I think that's good enough. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't think I'm going to be coming back to this until there's any sort of like DLC announced. We'll uh, see. Um, but, but I, I think hopefully if I'm really at the end this time, I will be satisfied. I, I will say in terms of like, I will talk a little bit about the story. I like when I ended the game, I actually felt happy. I think this is probably like going into it. I like how fully realized the story is. And mm. I, and I don't want to necessarily credit George Martin, George RR R. Martin for all of this, but like, I think sometimes FromSoft is a little too bare bones in things and they leave ambiguity for, okay, let's put it this way in both, in both Dark Souls 2, and this isn't the case for all of the Dark Souls games, there is a there is a nation of giants to the north. And in Elden Ring, there is a nation of giants to the north. However, that nation of giants to the north has a fully realized culture and a fully realized, like, just existence in history. And mm -hmm. that sort of development, I don't personally think and i'm saying this as a guy that knows how the stories of these games play i don't think FromSoft ever paid attention to or cared about in that sort of detail that i think george rr R. martin really brought to the table and helped for the world yeah no i think this is the first uh from soft game to really make me feel for an npc when you get to your last interaction with hugh um, yeah, and the no, juxtaposition. Uh, he's officially the best blacksmith now. Yeah, you know? the juxtaposition of that with the time you spoke to him before that—it's oh my god, my heart was breaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that is what I mean when I say I need a world worth fighting for. I need some sort of emotional core, even in like Bloodborne. I I don't give a crap about the NPCs you can save in Bloodborne, but I have yeah. this idea that Yarnum is a city that sure. is not always like this. Yeah, I, I think in terms of NPCs, uh, Elden Ring, um, number one, they fixed the complaints we had. For they, At least they addressed one complaint, which was they listed NPCs on a map now mm -hmm. so I can locate characters, yeah. which is the bare minimum, but I'll, I'll take it, deal. <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, that's but good. Then the other, but then the other thing is, is like, I, I think because of, how you stumble into them i think it's much more satisfying and rewarding um like let's i guess I'll, I'll talk about the hub right so the the round table hold i think is probably one of the better hubs for um for these games i i think like the chapel ward in um bloodborne it it has personality to it but like Bloodborne has a weird thing where like there's a hub for you to level up and talk to the doll and German. Mm -hmm. And then there is a hub for NPC quest lines and those two don't coexist. And it feels very weird to go to them. And the only real problem I have with the round table in Elden Ring is that you basically have to fast travel to it and it feels so separated from the rest of the world. But otherwise this is probably one of the better um, hubs. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, actually, I think my favorite hub is the one from three. I like that little area. Did you play demons? No. Okay. All right. No, no, I, I agree. I mean, like Dark Souls one's hub. I'm, I'm going to be mean to Dark Souls one real quick. Firelink Shrine is kind of pitiful. I, I yeah. don't, 
I, I think most people who are fond of Firelink Shrine are probably too nostalgic for it. I, I don't think they're being honest with themselves. But like um, Firelink Shrine in Dark Souls 3 is, is, I think, sort of where I'm going with in terms of like it being a nice home for NPCs. It feels like an area. I think my problem with Dark Souls 3 in as a whole, but applies to the hub, is its color palette is just not satisfying at all. Um, in terms of art direction, I, I feel like it doesn't like the round table hold feels warm. It feels like a nice refuge. Mm -hmm. It feels like a nice place to um, relax yeah. after you've after you've explored and you've shit your pants to a really difficult boss. You go back, you level up, you talk to some people, you upgrade with Hugh and it's relaxing. Yeah. Yeah, I think. That was most shocking to me, actually, when I got to Roundtable Hold, and I was like, oh, this is a location where, like, people exist. Yeah. And that was that was very surprising for me for a FromSoft game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, um, I mean, I'm going to pay some lip service to Dark Souls 2 real quick. Dark Souls 2 has a hub, and it's actually a town. It's like Majula. And what will happen there is, is as you play through the game, NPCs will go in and settle there. So when you start, Majula is like a very like empty place. But as you play the game, it becomes full of people. The oh. problem, the problem with Dark Souls 2's hub, it's also warm and inviting. Um, and I particularly like the music because it's warm and inviting, but there's a slight tone of you know, there's an ominous tone that plays with the theme. Um, anyone who's played the game will know what I'm talking about. But anyways, the problem with that versus the roundtable hold is a lot of the NPCs in Dark Souls 2, once they get to Majula, they stay in Majula. There is no real quest line for them. There's no resolution to their problems. It's mm -hmm. sort of like they are there now. And yeah, it helps that area breathe a little bit more. But um, those NPCs suffer for it and they're a little bit flat. Whereas I think the NPCs, all the ones that exist in Elden Ring are all realized characters. Yeah, everyone feels like they're doing their own story. Yeah, which is which is nice. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see how it all mets out. I don't actually even know what the final boss is. I'm excited. I think I'm, I'm I've, excited. I think I've gotten to all the areas and faced all the major bosses. I cleaned off, uh, the Lord of Blood last night. I know you were having some difficulty with that area. Uh, it's not difficulty. I just didn't like the area. I don't yeah. like the Palace of Blood. I, I had an easy time with the boss because I had a charm that basically, I don't know if it nullifies, but it, it, it basically halted a lot of his like blood spells. Okay. But that being said, I, I found the area lacking in terms of like, because like once you hit the Blood Palace, you've already seen so much shit. And a lot of that shit was way more detailed or expansive or impressive. Once I hit the Palace of Blood, I was like, oh, well, I've, I've, I've been through so much worse. Who gives a shit? You know what yeah. I mean? It, it feels weird that it's a late game area. Mm -hmm. It is a little awkward, especially how you stumble upon it. Uh, how did you feel about Avagander? Can you remind me? Uh, I'm very sorry, Brogan, but Avagander at these nuts. Got him! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Alright, we're done. <laughs> it's it, the, the podcast is cancelled, viewing. <laughs> hey, hey, speaking about these nuts, how about slime and video games? <laughs> There you go. You wanted to transition. If you wanted to transition, you didn't have to. You didn't have to talk about 
D's nuts. No, you okay. know what it, what it was is that um, I in my notes I had written down have a look at these nuts, but you you just started talking at length, and I couldn't work it in. Oh, I see. I see. I see. I just bulldozed through it. That's uh-huh. the secret. Like okay. A, like All a right. Let's let's wall. let's do it. Let's just talk about goo. You want you want to give up the Elden Ring? Let's talk about goo. Let's Sli- do it. Slime in video games, which is the uh, the variety minute. Y- you know, I, at first I was like, "There's not a lot of goo instances." There's probably a lot of goo instances. It really just depends on the definition of goo. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, goo and slime. Like it doesn't have to be sentient. No, uh, like, but even then, like sentient slime or whatever, like the slimes from Dragon Quest, I didn't write them down. But like, if we count all slimes, there's there's they're countless. Slimes um, are a very, I think they're a staple RPG enemy because they're a good early game replacement for skeletons. If a game is saving skeletons for a like horror level, you know, yeah, they don't look they look non threatening. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like there's that element to it and the amorphous the amorphous shape is I don't want to necessarily say not unsettling but like it yeah it, it it's approachable. They're they're surface fantasy jelly jellyfish. Yeah. Like the yep. um the choo choos in Zelda. Uh, Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. I um I like the current choo choo design where they they look sort of like a stress toy. But their first appearance in Majora's Mask uh, bothers me greatly because they have like these like lips and teeth on the face. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I think Choo Choo's in general, I mean, nowadays they look like Wobbuffet. So like I can't get mm. that out of my brain. Like it's it's just like how that body shape is. Um, Choo Choo's are like, I don't know. I, I enjoy them. I enjoy them as an enemy encounter. When, when if you hit them and you're not careful enough and then you get shocked by them or something, those are like my favorite moments. Yeah, and they've got this stupid expression on their face where it feels sort of malicious when they're like closing in on you. <laughs> they've haunted your nightmares. Oh, it's just, uh, look, uh, Minish Cap is my favorite 2D Zelda and the first boss of that is a choo-choo, so... So, so so it's near and dear to your heart. I'm amazed that Minish Cap's your favorite. I'll I'll remember that. Maybe maybe that'll be the first Zelda of the uh of the cast. Who knows? Maybe um, maybe. But, but I I've had more like standard options or like okay, let me ask you a question cuz this is technically like a huge part of my list. Do you consider number 1 ink to be blob-like? Depends on where it's used. I would not consider Epic Mickey a slime game. But sure, but like Phantom Blot is not a slime to you. I no, I guess not in my mind. Even though he ticks all the boxes. Okay, all right, all right. Huh. Taking notes here. I mean, now that you've said that, yeah, I guess the Blotlings literally are just slime. Yes, yeah, the Blotlings would be slime things. Yeah, but they're not. They don't. They don't carry the properties of slime to me. I guess when I think what of. Are a, when I think of a goo enemy, I think of like some sort of like stretch and pull to their movement, you know. Sure, maybe. Let me ask, do you not consider like the Splatoon inklings or just like anything like with ink in general like cuz I also wrote D Blob on here. D Blob Blob is also an ink game. D Blob basically. I consider a goo game. Splatoon? I guess Splatoon snakes in there, but I wouldn't consider the inklings. 
but blobby. But you go into the ink and you're like an inktopus. Well, sometimes you're a squid and sometimes you're a kid. But at uh, no yeah. point are you goo. <laughs> I, I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. Um, And then there's like Super Mario Sunshine, which I also counted. I count that. I, I think what's nice, I, I will praise the goo here. I don't like Super Mario Sunshine so much as a title overall but i think the art direction for the goo and the paint mm-hmm. and all of that stuff is really cool yeah i i wrote down here that like having like slime in your video games feels like a way to show off your graphics it's like you've made yes. your water physics into an enemy yes yeah 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 so you could like show its texture and how it like you, you could show off the viscosity of your engine yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what's the most iconic move for a goo enemy in a game? And it's usually, like, they split apart when you've dealt with them. I'm thinking of, like, the Amoeboids and Ratchet and Clank. Oh, see, I'm thinking of, like, the most iconic move of a slime to me is they take a ball of slime, they throw it on the ground, or they throw up, uh, they throw up, and then, like, you can't touch that part of the ground. That part of the ground's lava now. Like, I guess that's the Super Mario sunshine in me, but yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you can also like goo enemies leave little trails and stuff. I like when I was playing to blob, all I would do is just like write out words with the trail you leave. Yeah. There's a little bit of art to it. Um, did you ever play Luigi's Mansion 3? I still haven't played it yet, but Gooigi is iconic now. It's... He is probably the fully evolved form of goo. Gooigi? Yeah, like in the um like in the false Luigi we find the true Luigi. <laughs> this is words of wisdom. I I don't like how Nintendo approaches multiplayer. I think it's so weird that their approach to multiplayer is we're going to have this weird concept of a yeah, kid. you know what I mean. It, it's like it's high concept. It's not like Halo where they say this is Master Chief's brother. <laughs> oh, yeah, or like fucking. I don't think Gooigi's necessarily multiplayer. I think he's also just like a thing you yeah, can mechanic. switch to if you need to. Yeah, but that being said, like there is no reason why you couldn't have just fucking slapped a fucking vacuum pack on Mario, or or you don't even have to do Mario. You can put it on a Toad. Mm-hmm. Gooigi feels so weird to me. You know what I mean? Gooigi, I think, like, tell me your secrets. I think they were really proud of the name Gooigi. <laughs> God damn. I'm oh surprised, like, next Mario Kart has to have a Gooigi as a character, right? Like, they're going oh, to start making it weird and, like, Gooigi is his own entity. Uh, honestly, I will take Gooigi as a Mario Kart character over pink gold. Because, like, at that point, you're just throwing the adjectives in there instead of taking from source material. I'm like, all right, whatever. It's so strange, pink gold peach. I don't know what the thought process is. That's not a, that's not a thing the she's The thought process done. is they could take the character model, slap a thing on them, but then it's like, oh, peach is a girl. So then it's like, okay, make it pink gold. And then that's it. That's the thought process. Are there any other iconic slimes? I, I I wrote down one that was actually kind of personal to me, even though it's not super famous. There's a game called The Ooze for the Sega Genesis. I really like the game. The the, the soundtrack's really good to it. Um, I haven't played it in a long, long time, so I don't know if like the game is actually good. Is it like the schmooze? What is the schmooze? No one can stop the schmooze. Uh, you're going to have to explain the it's, context. Uh, it's the... V- fuck. And, okay, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not a brony. Uh-oh. 
It's the villain from the 1989 My Little Pony movie that I rented with my sister long ago. And I remember okay. it because there's this catchy song about how you can't stop the schmooze. And Danny DeVito <laughs> plays the Nork King. <laughs> All right. No, the ooze is basically like a lab experiment gone wrong type thing. And you're like a horror monster. It's kind of like that. Uh, what's that new game recently? That's like the carry on or something. Yeah, carry on. Yeah, that that game. It's kind of like that where you're sort of just like going around as a monster and trying to do shit. Um, it, it's really cool. And again, the soundtrack's good. So like that was my that was my ooze thing. And that was the reason why I wanted to have this variety minute. You know what I want? I want a blob horror game, like a survival horror. I don't, I see a part of me doesn't think it's actually going to work. Like yeah. I've, I've thought about it. I'm like, the problem is, is like that amorphous element is sort of like becomes like, what am I looking at at some point? And in like a bad way, whereas like sometimes the, what am I looking at is like cool if it's like meant to be human, like, but it's clearly not a human. Oh my God. What is that? But like mm-hmm. with blobs, it's like, it's too abstract. Yeah, uh, I was just—I guess I was just thinking like um, playing Resident Evil Remake Three. I was contemplating like, what if there was like a blob chasing you? <laughs> like, would it, it was... be like made of flesh? I think flesh bo- blobs are scary. Mm. Like it would be slipping into vents and stuff, and you could tell where it was by its like little snot trails it leaves around. Ugh. I think that would be a real cool tech demo for someone to make. <laughs> Nemesis turns into a blob at the end. Yeah, yes, he does. <laughs> I like his original flesh blob. Look, if you t- if you take that giant rail gun and you turn him into goo, that's sexy. In the remake, that scene is sexy. I'm just gonna <laughs> throw that out there. Oh goodness! Oh my gosh! All right, are we ready to talk about World of Goo? Yes, yes. Let's talk about the masterpiece. World of Goo time, everybody. Uh, World of Goo is a 2008 puzzle game developed by two developers under the name 2D Boy. The game initially released on PC and WiiWare, but eventually ported itself to a bunch of platforms like phones and the Switch and all of that stuff. Uh, 2D Boy as a team was two electronics arts employees, Kyle Gabler and Ron Carmel, who developed the game in their off time. 
Um, the game received heavy critical praise and was one of the sort of premier titles for the concept of fun indie games in normal marketplaces. So like the WiiWare shop, this was like one of the biggest uh, early indie game successes for the WiiWare um, marketplace. And uh, it was like a really good indie success for the late 2000s. Um, but ignoring all that, what is this game? Uh, this game is a puzzle game segmented into different acts with a bunch of small challenges within each act. Through the guidance of the sign painter, which basically means you're reading signs and the sign the signs are usually funny or insightful. Um, you control little blobs of goo and you manipulate them into different structures and physics puzzles to get as many of those blobs as you can into a tube to end the level. And this is largely speaking with some exceptions with this very basic description out of the way murph tell me your thoughts on world of goo oh my i fucking love world of goo oh my great gravy jesus this game is art it's art god damn he's gonna splooge some goo really soon oh i hope we brought tissues i uh i originally came across this game because in, you know, the, the days of the Wii, there was, like, IGN put out this article titled, like, Nintendo is lazy and you don't care. And it was about how nin the Wii didn't have any, like, true hardcore gamer games on it. And the writer was like, oh, the highest rated game on the Wii is this indie game called World of Goo, which costs $5. And doesn't this piss you off that the best game on the Wii costs $5? And I thought to myself... No, no, I kind of want to play this game. If it's better than everything else on it right now, I, I want to play that. And you know what? I, uh, I think I agree. I think World of Goo is one of the best games, if not the best game, of the Wii's library. I'd have to look at the Wii's library. I, don't, I wouldn't contest that. I, like, I, I probably wouldn't push that very hard. Like, sure, maybe, yeah. I Sure. <laughs> and you know what? It still holds up. This is my fifth time beating it. And it still, it still is fun. It's still inventive. Even though I know most of the solutions on site now, it's still just, it's, it's fun to make little goo bridges or goo towers. Uh, the sign painter is like unironically one of my favorite video game characters. I, I love the sign painter. I, I like how many of those signs I thought were going to help me. And a lot of times no. they were just, they were just jokes. Yeah, like, you know. he took the time to write down that he was drowning. Or she, you know, it's enigmatic. What really sets this game... Oh, there's a lot of things that set this game apart from other puzzle games. But what, like, identified to me first, like, for the first time playing this, is, like, in other pleb-tier puzzle games, it would be level 1, make a tower 10 meters tall. Level 2, make a tower 20 meters tall. Level 3, make one 25 meters tall. And in this one, it's like, no, level one, make a tower. Level two, make a bridge. Level three, make a tower in a room that's constantly rotating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like, and, and as the acts go on, it sort of doesn't, like, there's a lot of times where they completely abandon, like, oh, you have to make a unique structure or something like that. Instead, yeah. it will be a completely different, like, to me, this is more of a physics game than a it build game. You know what and, I mean? And they directly call that out. It, it doesn't this whole all seem like one big physics simulation? 
Yes. And, 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 it, and like a lot of it has to do with the different elements. And like, if there's ever a moment where they're like, okay, things are starting to die down. They introduce a new mechanic. It tries to, and, and like the, that first level of the new mechanic is easy. And then it ramps it up. And, and then that's how it does it. It's like, it does little micro uh, mechanics lessons and then challenges and then you overcome them and then basically the mechanic is either done or it will be later utilized as just a normal part of your toolkit. Yeah, it's like the game is so great about introducing like these little ideas but even then like the first time you you meet a mechanic they don't um, it's not so straightforward like the first time you have to use like the the water goo droplets which yes. always always hang down you know, it's you gotta build this little snot hanging thing down to where you can find the goo balls that you can build off of, and then you've gotta build from the middle of that rope you made to where the pipe is. And they're so good about teaching you how the physics actually work. There's um one where you've gotta build a tower out of the green reattachable goo balls. Um mm -hmm. in a really small area but there's not enough to actually go in the pipe and make the um, the tower. So, so you, then you have to navigate the green goo balls upward or whatever. Yeah, you got to detach them so that they can go up the pipe. And that actually, to the point where you're just like a rope of green ones. And then there's that moment of truth where you detach the bottom one and find that the suction of the pipe is enough to actually like hang it midair. And that teaches yes. you that the pipe is like, is like your savior. And and there is a there like it it gives you it it's so subtle, but it gives you the hint to that solution at the start of the level because the the name of the level is it's not a glitch or it's not a bug, it's a feature. Yeah, yeah, and that's just like uh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about the art design in the game? I really like um 2d boys aesthetic have you played any of their other games little what are Infer their other games little inferno uh two billion humans uh something i think it was like called job simulator or something or uh i i probably haven't those ring bells but I, I'll i'm, I'm say not no. i'm not as fond of them like little inferno is just like straight up like a cause and effect simulator and yeah. then the other two ones are like logic puzzles like you're literally like two billion humans is literally like you're nearly typing code but i like i like the look of their like grungy dirty dr seuss worlds sure yeah I think that's a good description of what this is. Um, I really like how they take every pot shot at uh, corporate infrastructure and industry that they can. Uh, this game predicted the metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's good about beauty products. Beauty products and just all, all that sort of stuff is like really uh, played up. And like it, it is largely the story is told through either cutscenes, And those cutscenes are very like rudimentary but they serve their purpose they're like katamari or um or the signs themselves where the sign will like the sign painter will basically say like i think over here there was a thing one time yeah you know like that's that's pretty much it yeah there there's like there is lore but it's kind of just there to set up a what the environment is but like as you get towards the end of the game the tone does shift when like you read that sign from the sign painter and he's like these are like the last of the goo balls 
Like, all yeah. the exotic species have been wiped out. I don't know, that that very last level where it's not even a puzzle, that... Yeah, it's just a very simple thing, yeah. And you've... And it's like... The reason why I love the sign painter is that, in a way, you've been trying to catch up to them. You know, they're always ahead of you. Ahead of you. And then yeah. at the very end, you do, in a way, meet them, and you do meet, mutually accomplish a goal. And... Yeah. Uh, can we talk about the soundtrack? Go ahead. I fucking love this game's soundtrack. When 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 Kesha says that she feels my heart beat to the beat of the drums, she's specifically talking about track 23 of the World of Goose soundtrack, The Best of Times. That's the that's the song that plays at the end with like the, okay. those drums, the do 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 do. They'll be they'll this will it will be in the podcast, so don't yeah. you worry. Uh, like the it, they do reuse the tracks a lot, but each one yes. feels so appropriate to the scenario. And they're all very, they all invoke very different tones. Like there's that sort of jazzy, like one with the finger snaps. They're, they're unobtrusive. Even, even if they're, even if some of them are like lacking or something, um, what's important is, is the way they loop. It's never annoying or off-putting, which is very important yeah. in a puzzle game because mm -hmm. you're going to, you might be spending more time on one level than another. So like, uh, the, like in terms of it, I, I think the game, especially even in aesthetics in general is it, it, it serves a lot of purposes, um, in terms of how to differentiate what goo is versus the environment, Etc. Yeah. Etc. Like it, it, it's a really good job about making uh, differences very visually clear or auditorially clear. Also, yeah. like the responsiveness when you click on a goo or anything like that. Just it, it's a very smart design. Yeah, and if you actually listen to the full soundtrack, which I have, um, a lot of those tracks actually go on longer than they do in the levels. Some actually have like uh, vocals, which was surprising. Wow. Dang. And it's like just like sometimes it's people singing in like gibberish, other times it's like a chorus. It, it's neat. I started to like okay, so this is my experience of the game mm -hmm. when I played it. Number one, actually, I'm going to complain about something real quick, and I'm going to I'm going to allow you to tell me if I'm wrong in this complaint. Okay, because I don't know if there's like a secret button or something that allows me to like solve this problem. If if the goo balls are all clumped, to, like they're moving around on your structure, right? Uh. And I want to target one specific goo ball. There's, it's really hard to do that. Yeah, no, that is one of my consistent complaints about the game, is when you do start mixing in special goo balls with regular ones, um, it does get hard to actually single them out. Uh, the trick I always use is once you get the whistle, like whistle them to the other end of the structure and they kind of spread out a bit more. Sure, sure. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, luckily, they never mix in. You're never really dealing with three special types at a time, you know? No. It's only yeah, yeah, yeah. it's only ever like a basic building one and then like one that has a sort of special property. They never feel compelled to like keep a mechanic in for longer than it has to. Like no, no. mechanic ever overstays its welcome. If something is like served its purpose for like four levels, it's done. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, totally. So that that's that's really welcome. And like, I think my favorite world in terms of that is probably I liked the I liked the computer world. I, yeah. I complained about it in the thing, but in terms of that stuff, like it would it would introduce a new mechanic and it would have nothing to do with 
you know, anything you've goo. done before. Yeah. Well, yeah, and had nothing to do with what you've done before. You would learn it, and like to me, that was very exciting in terms of a puzzle game. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm doing something completely different. No, they flip and the th script on you. It becomes a completely different type of like puzzle game, and that's that's yeah, great. And and then like it and then it goes into a similar game you play where it's like um like for the internet sections um there there's blocks mm -hmm. that you have to de-stack and then eventually on another level you have to stack them so it becomes a structure building game but you're not dealing with goo anymore you're yeah. dealing with blocks you gotta and play you see Jenga. the difference between the goo yeah yeah you're playing Jenga yeah um I. To me, the the blocks aren't as satisfying because it doesn't feel like the physics are quite as refined as the goo physics. I I I mean, I, the Murph, goo. I'm gonna be honest. Mm -hmm. I don't think the physics are top notch. No, no. Well, I was about to clarify that. Like the the goo physics are wonderfully jank, but the blocks. I don't know. The blocks are like a weirdly slippery. I, and also I think, don't have, I, think like, I noticed weight. what it was when I was doing the blocks. Whereas when you hold the block, it slowly rotates. So if you're trying to delicately put it on something and you're taking too long, that rotation is actually going to fuck up uh, your the balance of the thing. Like you're going to be pushing mm -hmm. into it because you've taken too long to set it down. I, yeah. I found the best method for building the blocks was to be, I don't want to say rushing it, but be fast. And that I usually had no problems. I was pretty precise when I was fast. Yeah, but but back to the actual like goo physics. I I will concede that uh, sometimes it feels like you screw up and you couldn't have really predicted. Yes, and, and th to be fair, the game does have a get out of jail card with the little bugs that allow you to go back a turn or two. Um, I think those... that's how they compensate for that. But, but those don't really work. <laughs> that's my that's my biggest complaint with the game is that the flashback bugs don't really do as advertised. They well, say the thing... Go ahead. Yeah, they say it will take you back from like they will undo the last goo you placed, but really it's like they'll set you back five seconds. And if your tower's already falling, then you need to like mash multiple bugs at once. Yes. There, there's never a time where you mash one bug. The thing is, is usually when you've when you've made a mistake and the thing is going to fall over, it was not the one the one goo. It yeah. was ten goos earlier, and you have five turns you can rewind. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like at a certain point in time, it's not worth it. Um, I like that they tried to do it and they tried to compensate for that. But yes, there's there's a small I don't want to say it's a failure because the game is completable and they yeah. even have a skip function to where yeah. if you're really annoyed by a level you can skip it you know what i mean the game is very um, generous it's very i would say it's one of those games that's like easy to learn difficult to master because i i've, I've gotten through most of the levels first attempt um yeah. but a lot of the uh they call it like the ocd requirements which are like can you do this level really well can you rescue this number of goo balls yeah. Uh I've rarely been able to get those. I usually get them on accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or like you've basically fluked out like the true way to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I like how how many op avenues of forgiveness and opportunity it gives you. That being said, in terms of 
the physics. It's what you said. You know what? You know what level really stuck out to me, and mm -hmm. it made me it made me realize it. I'm gonna praise it in one hand, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that is like probably my problem with the game. Okay. First of all, okay, we're gonna use one level. The level is. It, I don't remember what act it's in. It's like the dead frog, and then they introduce the skulls that yeah. rotate, and they're on the spikes, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The and the gimmick is is you can use the skulls to sort of hold the bridge in place, because if the if the normal goo touches the spiked floor, you're done. It, they, they, they fall apart. So you need the spikes. So on one end, I like how the game approaches telling you this, because... The sign painter just says, "Oh, look at that! Those are those skulls. They're they're new. Who who knows what they do?" And you find out what they do by the very fact that they're rotating around and basically dancing around on the ground. Yeah, you don't need you don't need the sign painter to tell you that. That's that sort of shows its simplicity and elegance. That being said, for me, that is also where I saw the problem with the game's physics in terms of it not necessarily being reliable in how i can i can produce or understand how it functions does that make sense usually the game is at its best when the there's like a singular solution and there's not necessarily a precise execution you know what mm -hmm. i mean where it's like oh i could just fucking oh i get it i have to attach the balloons to here and then i do this and then i do that and then it's done that, that's when the game is at its best. But then when it's like, oh, I have to be really accurate about this one thing. Uh, oh, oh, it's yeah. all fucked. Yeah, accuracy is not this game's strong suit, which is why I feel the last three, like, challenge levels are kind of eh. I like the, yeah. uh, I like the one where Infesty the Worm is the name of it. Uh, <laughs> where you have to use, like, balloons to tumble this, like, ever-growing bridge of uh, goo balls. Yeah. Uh, but like, like you said, the physics are just like too spotty for something like that. Um, and the one where you have to make a bridge from this, like s over this spike filled pit from this very thin pillar. Um, I all uh, full disclosure playing this game five times. I've always skipped that one. Sure. I just, sure. I can't even begin to figure out how that one works. Yeah, no, I, and I understand. And like, I, I think that's the problem because, like, in a puzzle game, usually when you – you don't want to feel like it's your fault. And, like, mm -hmm. those are the moments where I don't feel like it's my fault. And yeah. I don't necessarily think, like, the game is bad for it. I think this game is really, really good. I don't know about 10 out of 10, but this is, like – I think what's nice about it, and, like, I've said this before um, on the cast, um, I think a game is really, really amazing and special and unique when they have a, a unique mechanical concept and they execute it gracefully. And mm -hmm. that's what World of Goo does. Yeah, it, it delivers on the promise that it gives. And yeah. it's just, oh, man, it's just so memorable to me. And it really echoes to a time when puzzle games seemed like they weren't going to be destroyed by mobile games. You know what I'm saying? This game feels very mobile game. Yeah, but it's like before gyms. <laughs> before before mobile games like figured out the mobile problem. puzzle games with like hundreds of levels are bullshit. Okay, I'm I'm going to come right out and say this. This game has like what? Maybe like 30, 40 levels tops. 
Yeah. And that's like the perfect amount because every level is a banger. Sure, sure, sure. There's there's a focus to them. I mean, I I think I think what's nice about it is there's like a flash element. This game feels like it's a flash game, mm-hmm. but like in the best way possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'd be playing this on new grounds 20 years ago, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's really endured um and I love it. <laughs> I unironically love it. It's one of my 10 favorite games of all time. I just, it, it delivers what, when, when I say it's like art, um, I, I'm one of those people that's like, everything's art. A cereal box is art. I don't give a fuck. It's a, it's, sure. you know, it's, it's a genus, not a, not a, but, not a but, gold But World star. of Goo has achieved a certain level of it, what it's realized. Yeah, because it's, like, it's, it's it's a game about yeah. building towers of goo, and it makes me feel emotions from that. And there's, like, some sort of lightning in a bottle thing to me that if I could just dissect about what this game does to make you feel things, then then I will, I will achieve true brilliance and nirvana. Okay, well, then this is the time. Can you... So, I, I'm curious about this emotion thing. Tell, tell me about this emotion. I think it's mostly the music, but I don't know when you get, it's like, you know, the story of corporate greed that you are in a way enabling question mark. Cause there is this implication that the player is like a force. (laughs) Yeah. The sign painters talking directly to you, the player, they're not talking to the goo balls. Yes. Um, But it's, you know, the plot is, is that this, company the world of goo comes in and starts sucking up these goo balls these endangered species uh to make beauty products and to fuel machinery uh and like i don't know there's this like really dour tone and at the end at at the end of world three all life becomes incompatible with the information superhighway yeah and then you get to the information superhighway and find it's been abandoned because parts of it are no longer profitable. And then yeah. you get to the very last world, literally called the end of the world, where the planets become uninhabitable and everyone's, you know, all the goo balls are leaving. And there's this question of like, well, what, what are the goo balls building towards? We can't see because the sky is covered in smog. <laughs> it, I know I'm rambling a lot, but I, even I, I don't know. There's like just... There's this through line of like this anti-capitalist message and this we've got to like protect nature and shit, man. Um, I can see that. No, no, no. I I mean, I I don't think there's an easy way to say it in a sentence. Right. So I think I think how how it approaches puzzles and aesthetic sort of is able to lend to enabling your emotions and then the narrative itself um sort of like let's take the ending for instance yeah i i I won't spoil it i guess but that note it ends on does is meant to be emotional and it it, you know i can see where you're coming from on that yes and then like it's like at the end they show you all the places you've been all the structures you've built it's like you've come a far way, and unlike other games, I really do feel like I've come a far way because each of these levels are singular and memorable. So you have these, like, 30 to 40 unique memories. Sure. And when you get to yes. the end of it, it feels like, yeah, I have, like, accomplished things. 
Yeah, they, they don't blur in with each other. If there was 200 of these, it would all blur in and be like, yeah, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And like I said, I just love the through line with the sign painter. At the very end, they, they change profession and you help them and the same way that they've helped you. It's like you've paid them back for the quote-unquote advice they've given you. See, I'm, I guess I'm just, I'm just trying to see the 10 out of 10. The 10 out Maybe of 10. This is... I, you know what? You can call my takes hot. You'll only be canceling a man. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to call them out. I, I want this game to be a 10 out of 10. Is this like the reverse Half-Life 2 situation? Yes, this is the reverse Half-Life 2. Where I'm like, I don't see what you're seeing, but I want to see what you're seeing. Yeah, you know, maybe like, like you can't see what the goo has been building towards. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm building towards that world of goo. I'm surprised they didn't. I, I'm surprised they didn't extend this game. Like, I'm surprised they didn't add a lot of more content or make a sequel to it. It's um, so weird with re-releases. They've uh, sort of updated a few-ish things. It's not like they ever added in new levels, but like the sort of uh, the the World of Goo Corporation area where you can go and all the goo balls you've rescued, you can just make them into a big tower. Yeah. Um, they've sort of updated that with a bit more uh, contemporary commentary, uh, particularly mm -hmm. once the world gets taken over by the metaverse. Uh They'll, they have, like, these jokes about how, like, oh, be, remember to purchase an avatar because without that you can't access most features yeah. and things like that. Um, but other than that, the game that you buy now is pretty much the same as it was on the Wii. Yep. I mean, part of me thinks that's really nice where it, it, it feels like a weird... It, you know, I, I guess to talk about the game's release and how it is and how it functions in, in video game history, it was at a very unique time. And it feels like a middle point. It feels like if it was made five years later, like mm -hmm. if, if they came up with this game five years after the fact, it would have probably fallen into some of these pitfalls or something. Yeah. If, if the, you know what I mean? So like, I am so glad that it, it like where it, where it was it was the right place it, at the right time and it it needed to come out on the Wii yes and it that, and it's one of those things where it, like it justifies the Wii controller yeah you definitely. know what i mean it like it there's a lot of times where waggle was a problem but it's not about waggle here it's about aiming and and that sort of thing where it feels it feels proper like you're aiming a tv remote and like mm -hmm. It, it was just really nice about it, you know? Part of me prefers it over the uh, mouse. Yeah. Do you have a favorite level? Um, I I enjoyed the internet area the most. I didn't... In, I, I just don't remember, the, like, the specific worlds other than that. I remember mm -hmm. specific levels. I think my favorite levels involve the big, pretty... Like, I think leading up to the 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 beauty section yeah. basically where you have like the big uh beauty marks and then like you had to separate 
the pretty from the not pretty. So that's a scenario where the puzzle of the game and like the puzzle of that specific level tied into the story. And they do that multiple times in the game where it's mm -hmm. like you have to separate the pretty girl from the ugly girls. And with that pretty girl, you can make good makeup. Yeah. And like stuff like that I enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Um, my favorites are always the uh, the one with the wind. And you have to I like, don't like the wind. You don't? Sometimes, I mean, like, it, it works if it's like the wa like the water and or like you have to sway it or something, but like I'm I, that's that's one of those scenarios where like the wind sort of like fucks with me, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I like it's, it's a separate element. You know I, I, I mean? just like the tone of it. I like the environment. I'm very pro storms. Oh. <laughs> I'm from Florida, Murph. I, I don't... I, you know, sure, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Storms are bad. Yeah. No, but I, I can see what you mean. This game is relaxing, and what I like is, like, even within a world, even within a world, it doesn't entirely adhere to a singular aesthetic. If it feels like it could do something different, like, you'll do, like, the Donkey Kong Country thing, Country Returns thing, of, like, have shadows for a level or something. Yeah. Like, stuff like that is really cool, and, like, they'll they'll switch up the variety if it ever feels like it's wearing down on you. Yeah, yeah. And, like, eh, to me, like, the weakest levels are always, um... The ones where you're, uh, how do I want to say this? To me, my least favorite level is the water lock. Do you remember that one? Can you be more specific? It's the one, um, it's after you meet, like, the, the pufferfish goo. Yes, I don't like those. Those are the, yeah, all of that's bad. I don't like, I don't like that entire thing. Okay, yeah, well, I kind of like the first one it's introduced in, but the one after that where it's, like, the two, it's, like, the okay symbol spinning in the water. Yes. And you've got to, like, attach it because it's the only piece you can move and sort of slingshot it with the buoyancy. Yes. That's where it feels like you're you're waiting on the physics to do what you needed to do. No, I 100% I agree. That's that's probably, like, that entire, like, do they call it pufferfish or do they call it, like, I remember it being, like, called the sticky thing or whatever. Uh, but, like. I don't think they really name them. I, I don't know. if Either way, it's my least favorite it's, it's your least favorite goo and and i mean like part of me did like when i started the internet one how how like how a lot of that was based on flicking a part of me was like oh i don't like this because i can't i can't really precisely uh determine the trajectory of the things yeah like there's times where it would orbit and i'm like okay i have to guess this but at a certain point in time muscle memory kicked in and you could feel where it would go and yeah. that was when i was like okay the physics are working well here mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely the physics are an acquired taste <laughs> But luckily, there's very few, like, time-focused stages. Yes. You know what I'm saying? It's not and, like... And, and, like, the the one time stage I really like is that one where the matches are oh, burning yeah. up. This, this might be my favorite level because of how it approaches challenge, whereas it's actually very easy to finish the level. However, part of you wants to keep climbing up and trying to hurry as fast as yeah, you can and get all those before extra ones. Your, your matches all burn up. Yeah, and that's like an example of, it's it's pretty easy to just beat the mere, bare minimum requirements for the levels. Yes. But, if you want like a few extra goo balls, then that's where like sort of the challenge comes in. 
Yes, because it, it's so easy to just finish the level, but beyond that, there's more goo. Oh no, I have to keep stacking, and that's when time hits, yeah. and that's that's where it becomes satisfying. You know, mm-hmm. the and time is not an obstructor; it's it's a challenge that you readily accept. Yeah, and I always love at the end of each stage, it pulls out to show like the thing you've built, and how it's probably like in this already collapsing. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's funny. No, I, I enjoy that. And I I think we've been knocking the physics, but part of me really likes how it approaches weight. I mm. think how it approaches weight and stability is something I, I really appreciated in terms of like building a structure where I was like, okay, I have to offset this part right here. Yeah. Or, oh, this part is too flimsy here. I need to add another one, another goo here just for the sake of support. And then it becomes a resource management game because you have to have X number of goo by the end of the level. Yeah. So then it's like, then it goes into nice strategy. The only problem there is you need the foresight to be able to plan those things. And then there's only five of those white bugs. So if you fuck up, you're fucked. Yeah. But it's whatever. And then you, and then you watch a speed run and the guy just like turbo stacks them (laughs) before the tower can even fall over. You know, you know, it's funny. Like I tried, I tried like looking up just like how they did it. And then I was like, oh, I can't, I can't even imitate this. No. I have to literally play this game. <laughs> no, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like tool assisted speed runs, except not. Yeah. Like, like the way they do it is like completely separate from like a guide. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the, the only way I could have played this game was to play the game. Yeah. So I think in terms of that, I think that's actually really nice and satisfying. Yeah. F- physics games that are heavy physics based always have the best speed runs to me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like it's, it's systems based to yeah. where it's not necessarily a pure scripted thing. Instead, it's a mastery over uh, the building blocks. And then like you, you can just appreciate it. It's so easy to appreciate. Yeah. 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 Any other final thoughts? Uh, a it, 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 good game. Go, go play it. Go, go support, uh, support this dev. Uh, I, I'm blanking on the name. Two D boy. Two D's nuts. Got him. The Daydream Cast is looking for a new <laughs> co-host. <laughs> well, hold, hold on, hold on. Before, uh, would one of those co-hosts, uh, be? The lovely Calvin Kempf, host of the Twin Geeks cast on thetwingeeks.com. Uh, oh, the, t- the Twin Geeks cast. <laughs> the cast where uh, film film aficionados talk about specific filmographies of uh, beloved or artistically interesting directors. Yes. Uh, check out their series. Uh, they just wrapped up on the filmography of Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, oh, and yeah. just today, they... Uh, are starting a retrospective on the films of French surrealist Jean Cocteau. There you go. I'm very looking forward to that. And that is being uh, hosted by a guest host, Stephen, who also hosts the Ranking the Monsters podcast, uh, where they every week they look at two different kaiju movies and put them into a, at this point, probably too large uh, tier list ranking. 
Uh, the most recent episode is on the fantastic Destroy All Monsters from 1968 and the more recent King of the Monsters, which I secretly love. Sorry, Steven. I, I like King of the Monsters, too. We, we don't have to get into it, but I, I agree. I... I think I think he's I think he's focused on how it approaches legacy. You mm. know what I mean? Where he he I think there there's a very cynical take on oh you know the way they're playing this out it is whatever. But like I don't know. Yeah, well, it's a good movie. I like. I, I will say in in terms of the Twin Geeks site, I think they they are the best podcasts for film. And uh, this is the best podcast for video games, just period. Yeah. If, if you want to know video games, listen to this podcast. Oh, period. yeah. We have such in, insightful opinions <laughs> and ideas. I, you mean, you mean ideas nuts? Oh, shit. He turned it around. <laughs> there you go. Uh, wh what is the next game? Uh, the next game, we're going to be, uh, looking at another good game. Another game, dear to my childhood, that you have not played. No, we, we've hit one, we've hit one I have not played before. Yet. We will be playing the original Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, Blue and Red Rescue Team, for the okay. GBA and Nintendo DS, and we'll be bringing on a special guest who also loves that game. David, uh, uh, a um, common guest on this cast. Yeah, David of the Twin Geeks cast. I don't think he has any uh, secondary podcasts. I don't think so. Calvin is the one who's like a machine and just like makes content all the time. Yeah, I think Calvin and Steven text each other about new podcasts they could do with each other. <laughs> literally literally just like in the middle of the night whereas whereas like Murph has to like message me like hey we have a podcast right I'm like, oh yeah i remember that yeah yeah i'm excited for pokemon mystery dungeon but my, my my experience with pokemon spinoffs is hey you pikachu so i'm i'm excited well in this you can be the pikachu yay or i mean you know what it depends on what per what you get from the um the Myers-Briggs test. Oh, snap. <laughs> That's so stupid. Yeah. I'm an INFP, so I become a, a drowsy. You're an I INFP? Yeah. I'm an, uh, what, what the fuck am I? I'm an INTJ? I forget. Oh, that means, uh, that means, uh, Capricorn was in, uh, in it alignment with the moon. It means I've got a moon. huge thumb. <laughs> Uh, uh we're done here right we're 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 done I've, i think we've squeezed enough blood from this goo and remember to tip your waiters <laughs>